This is the Topics and Takes podcast with Lauren Brownlow. You can download this weekly podcast at WRALsportsfan.com and the WRAL Sports Fan app or subscribe on iTunes and Google Play stores now. Here's your host for the Topics and Takes podcast, Lauren Brownlow. Welcome to Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow from 99.9 The Fan and WRALsportsfan.com. And this week, I'm really happy to be joined by Patrick Keenis. He is, well, you have many hats that you wear, right? You are the Durham Bulls play-by-play. I am. Um, hi, everybody. Hi. I'm really excited to be here, by the way. <laughs> um, NC State women's basketball, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So those That's are your correct. main, your full-time-ish hats, Those are correct? my main local gigs. I'm no longer yes. full-time with anybody. It's oh, okay, it's I see. SE life, <laughs> self-employed life is, is what I'm living. It's good and bad, right? It's, you know, it's, it's plenty, all good. Plenty, it's, all it's all good? good? It's all good. Okay. You also might know I Patrick. highly recommend it for you and your entire listening <laughs> audience, yes. <laughs> I mean, look, the self-employed life is not bad. At the same time, though, stringing together enough freelance mm. gigs to to make a living. My guest last week, actually, yes. Sean Crest, has uh, had his own adventures doing yes. that with yes. the writing well, industry. Maybe, maybe yeah. we should add a f- another S in front of the SC for stressful self-employed yeah, life. Yeah, there but, we go. Yes. <laughs> and you're also, um, you do NBC. You do NBC. Yeah, you do Westwood that's, One and that's NBC. New. NBC, NBC yes. is new. NBC right? is new. But you were doing Westwood One Olympic coverage, correct? Before? I was, and some college football and basketball for them. Okay. Yes. So, that, yeah, that covers ma- many, all of your many, many bases. Things, many things. There are other kind of stragglers. I, I freelance for ESPN for certain oh, okay. like tier two, tier three games that they have that aren't on the actual network. Mm-hmm. So work for Sinclair for their high school state championship coverage. I've done that here locally for the association for seven or eight years. Wow. Okay. And again, just random games, random events yeah. all over the state and country. So. And I, I got to know you a little bit last year because and you'll be doing it again. ACC tournament Tuesday and Wednesday games will carry on 99.9 The Fan. You do play-by-play for those, and uh, they let various personalities rotate in and do color, even though we have no idea what we're doing. And You, you- did great. That was fun. <laughs> it was that fun. That was my first question to Dennis was, Am, am I going to be working with Lauren again? Oh, I didn't ask about you. Adam. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I knew he'd bully his way in anyway. <laughs> but about you, I really had a blast, and I know the fans. It was an unusual listen, I think, for the fans. Yes. And I think for most of them, they really enjoyed it. All of them should have enjoyed it. Most of them, I know, did. I love that. It and was a couple a- tweeted that they were like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> I love that it's an unusual listen. It was because I yes. was a little um, reactive because I was watching uh, Bonzi Colson and Notre Dame play against mm-hmm. Virginia Tech. Big comeback win, and that one that was fun to watch. And I really liked that Notre Dame team. That Notre Dame team is a shell of itself this year, as you'll see yes. soon enough, sadly. But uh, it was a really good time <laughs> and really fun. And, and you're, I was struck by how good you were at what you do. And I mean, mm-hmm. you, yeah, I know you're modest, but it's it, 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 it all seems very effortless for you. Um, whereas it felt very difficult for you me. You should see my office the days leading up to these games. There's nothing There's nothing effortless about anything that I do. Right. I, it yes. seems that way. I know you put work into it, but yes. you, it just, you make it seem easy, which is a compliment because I know you, you had to work hard to, to get to that point. But um, Just doing my job. That's all. Play-by-play <laughs> yeah. play seems like very difficult, honestly. Uh, that seems like one of the most difficult things you can do just because of all of the things you have to be aware of constantly. And you never stop learning. So that was okay. the that was the biggest thing that I had to understand about doing my first Olympic Games. And maybe we're getting into this later. Right. I don't want to yeah, get ahead of things. But still. So when I was in Rio in 2016, took a basically a one-month sabbatical from the Bulls. They were wonderful. George Hable, Mike Berlin allowing yes. me to go down there during the middle of the baseball season for the Bulls. But what Westwood One is all about, if your listeners have listened to 
any Masters event, any Super Bowl, any Final Four, any game, any event that they broadcast, yeah. they want to memorialize the moment. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't know what the moment is, but when that moment happens, they want their guy to capture it, put a bow on it, explain in 15 seconds the 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 meaning of what just happened, so that they can air it 20 years down the road, and you can relive that moment and understand the importance of what happened. Wow! I wasn't really trained in doing that. <laughs> yeah. Until a couple of years, so when I finished up my Mudcats broadcasting career, I came across a man who lived in Cary but was a major CBS uh, director and producer named Rick Lasavita. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was running a sportscaster camp for kids in the Triangle, still do, but I, I, I met him, invited him as a guest to speak to these 13 to 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So after we finished, we then had lunch a, a couple of weeks later, and he took a liking to me. He had heard some of my stuff, but he thought he could maybe advance me to another level. He was the one who then came out to Five County Stadium sat in the booth with me during games. And again, at, at this stage, I'm 12 or 13 years into my career. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I was fresh out of grad school and boom, calling my first few games. And he was writing down all all kinds of notes and critiques and exclamation marks on good things that I did. Right. And like, you know, thumbs down for things <laughs> that he didn't, didn't like or he didn't understand. He, I did not have a real purpose for what I was doing. I was mm-hmm. calling a game. I was calling it well, but for for what his eyes and ears were trained to listen for and put before the audience. I mean, he, he did all-star games. He did Super Bowls. He did Olympics. He did Masters. He hired Jim Nance. He hired wow. uh, 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 the, Doug, the Doug Flutie game against Miami, who was the, the play-by-play guy of that, of oh, that game. Oh, gosh. I don't know that I would know that off the top of my head. Name but. is just slipping, slipping <laughs> in my mind. But he hired him, and, and he told the story to the campers that that was the first college football game that that person called. So so he has a long, long storied history of what works, what sounds well, telling the story. Mm-hmm. I was never trained on really telling stories from any of my advisors in college, any of my radio station bosses. And any any GMs of the baseball teams for which sure. I worked. So at this moment, when I'm about 30, and he's in the booth, and he's almost tearing me down and building me back up, and almost reinventing my my style a bit. Mm-hmm. That's when it began. And so now back to the the Olympic story with Westwood One in 2012. It was widely widely understood that this was Michael Phelps' last Olympic Games. Yeah. Westwood One, as I mentioned earlier, is all about concretizing that moment, right? So he wins another bushel full of gold medals. They want the call of his last gold medal, right? Because if London is indeed the end for Michael Phelps in 2030 and 2028, and they want to flash back and remind people how awesome and incredible uh, Michael Phelps was, they wanted the call. Well, what I was told was that the person making that call didn't really deliver. So then, okay. a couple of years later, when Michael Phelps is rumored to be training to possibly return to Rio, they knew, the Westwood One decision makers, that they needed to go a different direction. They, they couldn't afford to miss it again and, sure. not, and not have it. So, long story short, or longer story shorter, knowing, knowing what Westwood One was about, Everybody in my industry is a play-by-play artist, uh, announcer, wants to work for, they want to call the biggest games. 
You want to work for the big networks, whether it's TV or radio. So you wanted to work for ESPN Radio if you could on the national level. You wanted to work for Westwood One on the radio oh, yeah. if yeah. you could, like thousands of others, right? So they had their stable of guys, but I had begun an electronic relationship with the number two guy in charge named Mike Eby. So it was as simple as this. Every six months, I would reach out to Mike and say, here's my latest stuff. Give it a listen. Would love to call football and basketball for you. Let me know if there's an opportunity. I'm sure he gets dozens and dozens of these a week sure. from Yahoo's like me, right? <laughs> he would always politely respond and said, got your stuff. We'll give it a listen, but we're fine with our guys that we have, but we'll keep it on file. Six months later, as he said, stay in touch. Boom. Here's my updated stuff. Would love to be part of it. He would respond, got it, like it, we have our guys. This went on for two and a half years. Wow. So now we're getting to the fall of 2015. Bull season just wraps up. Mm -hmm. I sent him another email saying, would love to get in your football basketball stable again. Here's my latest stuff. And I and I put at the end, I know you have the Olympics coming up next summer in Rio. If you happen to have a gap in your coverage and a need... <laughs> It's always been a dream of mine. I would love, yeah. love to do it. Send it off to him. He responded. First sentence was identical. Got your stuff. Like it. We have our guys. We're all set for football and basketball. But if you've ever done swimming, send me some clips hmm. because we we don't believe we're going to have an opening. But if we do, be there. we want to have some stuff on file. Okay. Well, any broadcaster, because you're not making a lot of money in this business when you when you break in, you're doing anything that you can to survive. Sure. To make the rent payment, you know, get get a bag of Cheetos, order a pizza, you know, pay the rent, whatever whatever your uh, your bills are. So you're doing anything and everything. So along those lines, when I moved here to the Triangle, I started calling. Any and everything that I could. So you had actually called swimming. I had called the <laughs> ACC swimming championships oh, awesome. for a couple of years and the high school state championships on TV. Oh, that's great. So I had something related to swimming to send them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it wasn't that great, but it was. You you can't apply for an Olympic swimming job by sending them softball. Right. So at least I had some something in in, in the right I have category. Some knowledge, yeah. So quickly, I, I buzzed over to uh, NC State's campus. The video operator, the video director for women's basketball for NC State at that time uh, was Jason Rasnick. And uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Jonathan Davis. That Jason had already moved on. Jonathan Davis was the guy. So we downloaded all the video stuff. I'd flagged a couple of what I thought were decent sounding calls. Put it together, two or three minutes, and hustle it back to Mike Eby. Radio silence. Heard nothing for, this was in October. Yeah. I heard nothing for three months. Wow. So now it's early 2016. I had forgotten about this. It was a month and a half before baseball season began. Yeah. I was a sponsorship sales agent with the Bulls as well, so my mind was on other things. It was closing deals. It was getting the sponsors back and ramping up for the 2016 season. It's a random Wednesday in February, second or third week, and there's an email when I fire up my computer at the DBAP from EB. And, you know, you open up your Outlook, and you can only you can't read the email right away. You just see the subject, right? You see right. who sent it, and you see the subject. The subject was Olympics. Ooh. Right. My <laughs> reaction, precisely. And open up the email nervously, and it said, do you have time to talk about the Olympics today? Yep. <laughs> and I paused, 
like I'm doing now <laughs> because it's such a, a major like watershed moment for my life. Sure, sure. And I was thinking, we weren't supposed to talk about the Olympics today. <laughs> I think I can find time, right? Right, right. So for the next three hours after I emailed back and said, yes, noon would be great, I'm shaking at my desk. I can't focus on anything. I can't make any calls. I can't send any contracts out because I have no idea what this conversation is. We haven't talked at all since that email exchange and since I sent the the video to him. And he called. And in the, the first thing he said was, we have not made a decision, but you are one of three or four that we're looking at and so over the next 50 minutes or so, he per- proceeded to basically tell me what the job was mm-hmm. and what all it entailed, what they needed. He really liked the stuff that I sent. He said, I know these were TV calls and we're doing radio, but I know there's more there. Yeah. I know there's a more descriptive call there because calling radio versus TV, play by play. Oh, sure. Much, much different animals. Of course. Glad that he got it. He's a pro. <laughs> so... So we chatted. He liked the idea that I had worked in minor league baseball because you're working 16-hour days. And when you have 15 employees at Westwood One Mm -hmm. in Rio covering the entire Olympic Games, it's five play-by-play guys, five analysts, a couple of engineers, IT, and two or three producers. And that's it. So it's a small group. You're working your butts off. It's 20. We were down there 24 days. And again, we were we didn't get a single day off. Yeah. But we didn't we didn't want one. We didn't expect one. It was everybody's pulling the same direction. You know, there's no weak there's no weakest link in this mm-hmm. group of fifteen or sixteen people. So where we left the phone conversation was, I'm all in if you if you want me. I mean, this is a dream come true. And he was convinced that I he felt like I was the right guy. And he said, I need a little bit more time. I need you to, to submit some interviews that you've done so we can get a listen because when you're in the mix zone, you have 45 seconds. There's a person standing next to Katie Ledecky looking at the watch. Once right. they start the interview, once 45 second hits, they're like, let's go, let's go, wrap it up, wrap up, you're done, and the athlete moves away. So he needed to ensure that uh, that I could do a quick interview, get my questions in. and Quick have, question, right, I'm sure. Quick question, yep. boom, get the answers. That's what the people want to hear anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was the longest nine days of my life was going from the end of that phone call to getting the next phone. Well, it was a ne- the next email. So it was the following Friday. Mm-hmm. Back at the office, there's an email from Mike saying, uh, do you have time to talk today? Great. So we're, we're about ready to talk before noon. I'm sitting at my desk, not knowing what the answer is. Palms are sweaty. Oh I mean, gosh. this is a make or break career moment, yeah. right? Yeah. And he emails back right before noon, right before we're scheduled to, to talk, and he said, I lost your cell phone number. Can you email me your cell phone number? I'm like, how can you lose my cell phone? We just spoke last week. This could be the biggest thing. I'm like, here it is. And he called, and he said, you want to go to Rio? And you're like, yes. My gosh. My gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then the fear of God, like, shed over over, over my, my head because swimming was my main event, and- I nearly drowned a couple of times when I was a little kid. I didn't oh, learn really? how to swim until I was like 15 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was in the pool with these five-year-olds, right? I'm twice as tall, way the same, though, which was strange. I was a skinny <laughs> kid, still am. <laughs> and so did I follow the sport? No. I mean, sure. pro- probably I probably follow the sport as, as, uh, as much as, as, much as anybody person, out right? there listening right now. I, I followed it 
every four years, right? right? There were a couple of events that I'd watch because I love the Olympics. But did I could I could I name more than couple, six? A handful, yeah, no, no, mm-hmm. no, I I could not. So March came the following month. The NCAA regionals are held all around the country, but also at the PNC. Mike was producing the games at the PNC first couple of rounds. So we had lunch uh, outside Starbucks at Crabtree Valley Mall, and he said, "I'm you're my guy, sink or swim. No pun intended, sink or swim." <laughs> but he said, "You have." Basically, four and a half or five months to become an expert. Yeah. I need you to become an expert on U.S. swimming and really knowledgeable about international swimming. Sure. And this is what we need and expect from you. And so for the next four and a half, five months, that was outside of the Bulls games. Yeah. All I did (laughs) was the preparation for for this process. So went down there. Phelps is in the Olympics. He... Uh, he is part of the relay. The I think it was the second night. The swimming was the first eight days. Mm-hmm. I think either day one or day two was the men's relay, uh, and he was on that relay. They won gold, gave it a great call, got him to, to the to the wall. Now he was the second or third leg, so he didn't bring it home. Right. We hadn't really discussed with the producer how the call needed to sound. Right. Sure. So. Being, I was a big tennis player growing up, played in high school, college, and a little bit after that. So that was, yes, it was part individual, but it was also part team. I'm thinking in my head, this is a team event. Yes, it's going to be a Phelps gold medal, but it's a Team USA gold. So it didn't occur to me, nor was I instructed to identify Phelps winning another gold medal as part of that 15 second call. Right. Right. So. We did it live. It was on nationally. Sent it back to the IBC studios. And Mike, the same person who hired me, is down in Rio. And he's like, yeah, that's not exactly what we were looking for. Like, what? 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 Why? What was wrong? You didn't say it was Phelps, whatever, 19th gold medal. Like, but it was a team event was my answer. Yeah. Yeah, but okay, you can say that, but we needed something at the end that would round it out. Sure. About, like, son of a gun. So- they barely know who I am down there. All the other fourteen people have no idea who Patrick Keenis is. And now I'm riding the bus back to the media village, crushed that that might have been my moment and I missed it. Yeah. So now I knew that Phelps was in a couple more events. So I called my my uh, no, I didn't call because my wife and I didn't talk the entire twenty four days I was there. We emailed. So oh, I emailed wow. Catherine and I said I need you to cross every finger and toe that Michael Phelps somehow wins a gold medal down here because he was part of this relay. I didn't give him what they wanted, and that's why they hired me. And so I'm really nervous for the next couple of days because at, that, at this stage, while Phelps was training, he was kind of training in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knew if he was— like what kind of shape he if was he in was or, yeah. gonna com- be competitive in these races? Was yeah. he going to win it or was this just going to be Because he'd taken so him- much time off, right? right? We weren't even sure if he was going to come right. back. Right, so yep. there are no guarantees at all. So suddenly he, he comes back a couple of days later. He's in he's in a race and he wins it and nail the call. And as I, as I wrapped up the call and I'm sending it back to the IBC, in the background I can hear the, the producer and the executive producer 
and I just hear screams and claps and like high fives. Oh, wow. Because I can hear them because they know no matter what Michael Phelps does the rest of these games, mm-hmm. he could be off the podium over the next five days. Doesn't matter. Yeah. That's the call they can use. And I tell you, it was a weight and a burden off of my shoulders. And the next five days were great. And the races were great. And that then, the, the last piece of this very, sorry, this is a really long story. It's all right. The, the last piece of that story was when swimming was all over. Mm-hmm. And there were incredible races, really good calls, really good uh, kind of evaluations back in New York from Mike's boss uh, about, about how they sounded. I was being deployed to, to get some sound or cover uh, cover maybe maybe Jaden Cox in a wrestling event. I was going somewhere. Swimming was done, so that was my main event. Right. And I was out of the building, about to hop on the bus to go to the wrestling event. EB calls me back to the office. He's like, "I need I need you back here. Can you come back?" I'm like, "Sure, sure." A lot of things are like in play where it's very fluid. So he's following the monitor. If there's an American who's in metal contention with something else, you might be kind of reallocated right. there instead. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm going to volleyball or maybe something else happened. A surprise American is in is in range and I'm going somewhere else. So I get back to our studio. He calls me in, shut the door. And he said, didn't you send me some football tape, you know, a year or two ago? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Uh, resend that to me. This is like day nine or ten of the Olympics. He, yeah, a million things are happening in Rio, but he wants to talk about college football. And you're like, what? Curiously, I'm I'm very intrigued, but I don't quite know why this is the moment that we're talking about it. And he said, I think we have a game for you when we get back home. Okay, but Cox is wrestling in like 40 minutes, you know. Yeah. So he said, send me this stuff. And then when I finally got back, when the Olympics were over, came back. Two weeks after that, I had Ole Miss in Alabama, the number one country oh. in the, uh, team in the country, yeah. down in Oxford. And so then, wow. uh, again, going back to the the, <laughs> the uh, kind of origination of the story, twofold. One is uh, you you always have to persevere and keep those contacts warm. Right. Uh, and with what Rick was, what Rick taught me how to do was what Westwood wanted me to do, and I would not have been in that position had I not spent some time with him mm-hmm. and been open to learning kind of a uh, kind of tacking on new aspects of my craft. That's awesome. Sorry for the long no, story. No, it's a great story, actually. But, but that has now led to other college football and basketball with them, yeah. which led to the Winter Games in Pyeongchang and a couple of big sports and the opening closing ceremony, which then, had I not had short track on my resume, would not have led to anything I'm doing now for NBC. Mm-hmm. And now I've become, I guess, their lead long track and short track guy on the Olympic Channel and NBC Sports Network the last three months. So it's it's wild when you trace it all the way back. Right. But you always need to be very grateful to those people because it's not me. They, I mean, it, we're all, we're, we all have fingerprints on this. I'm just the voice and the, the face behind it. But had they not believed and trusted and, and thought that I could do something decent in the industry – you know, none of this. Um, I would have my shoes on, and I'm not sure what I'd be <laughs> what I'd be doing now. But it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be this. But I'm just eternally grateful to all of them. Well, if you're just joining us, by the way, this is topics <laughs> and takes. No, you're fine. It was it was a really good story, actually. So I was not about to stop you in the story. But if you are just joining us, this is topics and takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow. I'm joined by Patrick Keenis. You might know him as the voice of the Durham Bulls, the voice of NC State women's basketball as well, and as he. Had just mentioned plenty yeah. of Olympic stuff from Westwood One as Sorry. well. That and was a, a long time. No, it was that was a really good story. <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask about it anyway. Yeah. So, um, 
I do the question I usually start with, although I think yours is was it, your story was infinitely more interesting. <laughs> um, was um, when was the first time in your life that you remember sports being something that was important mm. to you at all? Important or sports or broadcasting? Sports. Sports first. <laughs> well, I mean, the, these two events probably occurred simultaneously because so, so I grew up in, in middle Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago. I say Chicago because it's easier for people to uh-huh. plot on a, on a map. But I grew up in a small Corn Belt town called Pontiac. It was known for two things. Uh, one is a maximum security prison. Oh, <laughs> where I where I grew up, and I actually got a tour of this when I was ten because my mom was one of the main journalists in town. And they opened up a new wing, and they gave her a tour. And she thought it'd be wise, I guess, or instructive to take <laughs> her youngest perhaps. son. Yes, yes, yeah, kind of a, a, pre- a preemptive what move not to do. for me. Right, right. Don't end up yeah. here. And and the other was a movie that was shot in my hometown called Grandview, USA. Okay. Worst movie maybe ever made, but it did have some some big names. So Jamie Lee Curtis was in it. See Thomas Howell was in it. Patrick Swayze was Uh in it. And again, my mom, being the journalist, had great access. And her, you know, baby baby son is just kind of walking around with her. And pictures of me in my awful-looking Adidas jumpsuit with Jamie Lee Curtis and the real straight brown hair that she had. Because this was three or four years after Halloween came out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So in the early, I think it was 80, maybe 82, 83, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that range. And a styrofoam cup that I still have with Carol Cook's lipstick on it, and she wrote on the outside of the cup, "To Pat, I'll be, I'll be waiting for you when you're older," or something oh like God. that. I know, right? It was so sorted. <laughs> so, so when I when I was a little, so in other words, there weren't there weren't many things to do in Pontiac. Right. I was the youngest of four. Uh, our family, the kids, were pretty athletically inclined, although we didn't have the athletic build. So we were really good at things that required coordination, but not strength. Okay. So excellent golfers, excellent tennis players. We are great free throw shooters. Hey, <laughs> you yes. Know, we're excellent bowlers. Okay. So for a time, I wanted to either be a professional tennis player or a professional bowler. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when I was seven, I was taking piano lessons at Wright's Furniture, a couple of blocks away from our house, with uh, Mrs. McCabe, who charged, I think, 15 or $20 per lesson. Um, so that was at the church. Wright's Furniture was across the street from the church, and Wright's Furniture had a black and white TV on the top of this bar that they were selling, a piece of bar furniture, but a black and white TV with the rabbit ears that would pick up WGN. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was a big Cubs fan. Sure. My first Cubs game, I think it was four or five years old, and... So I, I had decisions to make when I was a small boy on, I didn't like playing the piano, but all of my brothers and sisters learned, so I had to learn by just kind of, yeah. by force almost. <laughs> or, so I could either go to my lesson, or I could tell mom I went to my lesson, hide the check that I was supposed to give to Mrs. McCabe, and go across the street to Wright's Furniture and watch the Cubs for 30 or 45 minutes. Oh! Which I did most of the time. <laughs> So so that would be kind of my first real indoctrination to sports. Mm-hmm. Also, when I was seven, my mom bought me a board game called Stratomatic. Mm-hmm. It's a dice-based, kind of statistically-based uh, board game, okay. baseball game. So kind of the forerunner, not to fantasy sports, but but so every, every player who played in the big leagues had their own card. 
and there were six different columns. The first three on the player card, four, five, and six were on the pitcher card. The small white die, whatever the roll would be, if it's a one through a three, you look on the player's card. If it came up four through six, you look on the pitcher's card. Uh-huh. And then the two big dice you would roll, and that combination would be two through 12. Okay. Right? And so if it's 11 with the two dice and two with the small white die, you'd go to the number 11 marker in the second column on the player's card. Mm-hmm. And that would be an outcome of a baseball play. Oh, okay. Could be a walk, could be a strikeout, could be a ground out, could be an error, something. And so I spent, uh, so my mom bought me this game, but it sat in our house for a month, still in the plastic wrapper. Mm-hmm. It was a birthday present, but I didn't open it. So the nearest mall to where we grew up was about 30 miles south in Bloomington. My middle brother, who I idolized, and he taught me everything about playing sports, broadcasting sports, etc. He tracked down my mom's car. She was backing out of the driveway to return this and other things to the mall. It was a big trip, probably three hours round trip. But she saw that I wasn't evidently interested in this game, so she was going to return and get her money back. Can't blame her. So Doug ran down the driveway, stopped the car, got the game out, brought it inside, took me to you know our card table and taught me how to play Mm. from almost that point on and again I was seven for the next 11 years I'm in my bedroom playing this game wow or with my friends or with my brother but when I was alone in my room door was shut and as you know I have a lot of notes even now with the ACC tournament I kept folders of stats I had these plastic hanging Dr. Pepper boards on my wall and you know with those little plastic letters you can change out names and numbers uh-huh. they, they you see it like at a Dairy Queen of like a hot dog costs 129 the little plastic numbers and, and letters right, right so I had a standings board so I had National League East National League West oh my all gosh. the teams I would play this you know endlessly so I could get a game in a full game nine innings in about 10 minutes Wow. Boom. Move the guys around, track it, out, 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 hear the updated stats, move on. So, I mean, I played tens of thousands of games. Wow. And, and this is the the kicker, when the door was shut, I I began to kind of talk about the outcome of the roll of the dice. Okay. Now, seemed perfectly normal for a seven-year-old kid with a vivid imagination about sports. (laughs) Yes. For my psychologist father and my <laughs> journalist mom downstairs, when they would come up and walk down the hallway, and they would hear their seven-year-old <laughs> or eight-year-old kid t- like talking to himself and embellishing the result of some play, I think they were worried that there was something really mechanically and mentally wrong with me, which right. is, still could be the case today, very, very uh, well argued. And, I mean, that's really when it all then began. So a few years later, my mom, again, with her connections in journalism, there was one radio station in my hometown. They ran a play-by-play contest for kids. Uh So they were collecting tapes. I'm pretty sure my mom rigged it because I I did a Cubs-Pirates game into a tape recorder. (laughs) Who knows how god-awful this was? I'm sure it was (laughs) terrible. And she turned it in. I won the contest. I'm on doing an all-star game for like an inning. But that was the first hook. You were right? like seven or eight when you did No, that? I was probably 13 Oh, at okay, this you were 13 by then. Okay, yeah, got it. Yeah, but then that then led to getting a job at the radio station. Yeah. I was a board op for the Dick Bartley show, which was this golden oldies show on Saturday nights at WPOK, WJZ. This is when you're in high school. I'm this was 14 or 15. Okay, yeah. And wow. then at that stage, I wanted to call games. 
So they gave me the opportunity because this this radio station was one of the only radio stations in the in the county. Mm-hmm. So they covered a lot of games, and they only had Mark Edwards and Mark Meyer calling games, and they could save their voice by hiring somebody else. And next thing you know, I did a game, then I did another game, and then I did 30 games, and then I'm doing my high school games when I'm in high school. It was <laughs> wow, really strange. that's crazy. So, so anyway, so then from there to college, I uh, got a couple of internships when I was in college. One was at WGN and didn't have a job when I graduated from Millican, which is where I went to undergrad. Mm-hmm. And really, like anybody else who doesn't have a job offer or a job that they want coming out of college, what do you do next? Go to uh, grad school. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that or move in with mom and dad. Yeah. Well, that, that, came, that, that came later. <laughs> that came later. So I went to grad school at Northwestern, got another internship there. And a person who I met when I was at WGN with my internship, there was a big affiliate party because at that stage, Tribune Radio Networks and WGN were owned by the, Trib- the Tribune company. And with my internship, all of the interns had to go to this affiliate party, which was in July. Mm-hmm. And the affiliate party was basically all Cubs affiliates and Chicago Bears affiliates, because they both were on WGN at that time, were invited to a big party. Harry Carey was there. You know, Just all of the bigwigs were there. It was food. It was beer. It was wine. It was just a lot of networking for sure. these, these affiliate figureheads from all around the country because the Cubs were on hundreds of stations, the Bears were on oh, yeah. dozens and dozens of stations. So it was a big deal at the at the downtown Hyatt. Interns didn't want to be there. It was a like a Wednesday night in Chicago. We wanted to be out with our girlfriends, you know, eating pizza, right. uh, you know, like Michigan. The last thing we wanted to do was be in this group of, you know, suits, mm-hmm. right? That we had nothing in common with. We were 20, they were ancient what could possibly come out of this? So I'm there with my girlfriend at the time, Jennifer Bird, uh, and all the other interns were way at the back. We're wallflowers, right? Yeah. We're, we're just drinking. Of course, of course. I, I wasn't of drinking age, but we were we were drinking <laughs> in the back of the room. And Jennifer wanted another beer. So I'm holding the glass. There's a little bit of backwash in the beer. And I'm like, all right, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll go get one for you. So hundreds and hundreds of people through in this enormous ballroom. So I'm kind of snaking my way around, dodging people, looking to see where the bar is. And somebody accidentally like hit my elbow mm-hmm. and it's an it's an open glass and, and it hit me with enough force that the the glass kind of jerked forward and almost like like shot putted right. <laughs> the, the backwash onto a guy's tie standing right in front of me. Oh my gosh. Scary moment. And I'm I'm just mortified. He looks at me. I'm looking at him. I don't know who's going to say something first. Yeah. And he looks at my name tag and says, Patrick, Tribune Radio Networks. So what do you want to do with your life? Uh, I want to be a, a, a play-by-play broadcaster for pro baseball. I want to get to the big leagues. And so he introduced himself. His name is Stephen Trivers. He owned Fairfield Broadcasting, which was a conglomerate of four or five stations in Kalamazoo. And he was a a Harvard Crimson. He was what you would expect a Harvard Crimson alum in radio to be like. Perfectly worded sentences, impeccable grammar, the perfect tie. I mean, he, he, he spoke in Ivy League sentences, right? So after about three or four minutes, I realized that he's not going to punch me. He wasn't upset that the beer was still kind of staining his tie. 
And when I said I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster, he said, interesting, come with me. So we then walked behind him and probably 30 yards to the left, passing hundreds of people. And he introduces me to a very drunk at the time, owner and general manager of a radio station in Clinton, Iowa. Uh-huh. Named Gene Kaufman. Gene will corroborate this story. He will laugh at this story because he knows exactly this is how it happened. Yeah. And Stephen introduced me to Gene. Gene had just purchased the station. Clinton had a minor league team in the Midwest League, the Clinton Giants. And Gene, with part of his mission, because he just bought the team, wanted to steal away the broadcast rights for the Clinton Giants from the long-standing AM station and take it to his. Mm-hmm. So when Steven said Patrick wants to do you know minor league baseball or get into pro baseball, Gene, again, probably eight beers in, like puts his arm around me. Oh, it's great. You're going to be our guy. This is great. Gonna give us your number. We're going to hire you. going to be in April. It'll be all fantastic. And his operations manager, Jim Bartlett, taller guy, deep voice from Wisconsin, sober. So after the long kind of gregarious conversation with Gene yeah. where he hired me in a drunken stupor, Jim pulls me aside and said, here's my card. By the way, he did not offer you the job. And you're like, Send yeah, this, okay. your information, <laughs> and you've heard this. We'll be in touch. Sure. And sure enough, so I sent him my information. I went on to grad school, and within the first month of my first quarter at Northwestern, the phone rang. They had made a, a proposal and a pitch to the team. They got it. They pulled it away from the AM station that had had the rights for 50 or 60 years. Wow. And Gene was on the phone. He said, do you want to be our guy? And that's how I got in. I spilled a beer on an Ivy Leaguer's tie (laughs) at a party I did not want to attend. And again, you talk about connecting the dots, tracing it back. There we go. And even that's networking. Yes. uh, By the way, if you're just joining us, this is Topics and Takes. I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Patrick Keenis who is the play-by-play voice for the Durham Bulls, for NC State women's basketball, and he's called all kinds of other things, including the Olympics. Um, Mm. And I did want to get to this as well. Do you have – it seems cliche to even ask this, but I'm curious if there's a a favorite sport to call. I I know not all sporting events are created equal, Mm. right? So, you know, know, swimming – ACC tournament is a little different than calling the Olympics. So, but I didn't know if there's one that's your favorite or if there's one maybe that, maybe this is a better question. Maybe if there's one that is the most challenging for you. Oh, I mean, that's such a hard question. So my, my, my default answer to anybody who asks what I like doing most, Mm -hmm. my answer is whatever's in season. Only because <laughs> seasons are so long, and by the time you finish 35 basketball games for a team or right. 140 baseball games for any team, you're ready to do something else for a few months. <laughs> you just need to be refreshed and recharged and just a break, stop right? going yeah. to that place wherever it is. So so that that's that's my answer. What do I... What do I love as a the, the trouble with working in this industry, and you, I'm sure you get this as well as anybody. You can't be a fan anymore. Yes. Right. As much as, and I'm not sure what teams you loved growing up and what area you're from, but again, Cubs fan. Sure. I, I was a card carrying, diehard Cubs fan club member since I was like two. I didn't pay for it. My mom did, but you know they sent you the plaque and you had a card. And they oh, literally! Like, oh, yeah, they, yeah, they, they would send you like Vine Line magazine every couple of months back then. 
and and Not my just a clever expression. No, no, it, it, it tr- truly was. And Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So my oldest brother went there as well when I was eight, and he was a freshman in college. The story that I'm told from my from my mom and dad, I don't remember this, but they say. I, I went to orientation with Rob, stood up on the card catalog, because they still had card catalogs then, <laughs> and screamed to the entire freshman class, I'm going to go to Northwestern, in that squeaky, like, eight-year-old voice. Right. And so, consequently, that's that's my passion. Mm-hmm. Even now, even though I probably shouldn't be, but I am, I've never called one of their games, I've only, sure. uh, I would love to, that would be one of my, one one of my if if there if there's a dream job, it used to be the Cubs, but getting to big league baseball is just so hard. Oh yeah. But if if there would be one more cool job that I would love to have, it would be replacing Dave Bennett as the voice of Northwestern, just because I wow. I just love the school and I love the city and I love the campus and 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 everything that Chris Collins and Pat Fitzgerald and all the other sure. Olympic sports what the success they're having. But but you can't really be a fan anymore, and that's that's really hard. So when people find out that I've spent, you know, 20 years, whatever it is now in, in pro baseball, and they ask about moments or what's your favorite team, I can't root against any team mm-hmm. because I've been around so long that I have really good friends on almost all teams. Mm-hmm. And now I have really good friends. Three of them, as a matter of fact, are brand new first-year managers in the big leagues this year. Yeah. Right? Charlie Montoya with, with Toronto mm-hmm. was in Durham with me for several years, but I met him when he was in Montgomery prior to his Bulls time. Brandon Hyde was a manager with me with the Mudcats. He's the new manager for Baltimore. And David Bell, the new manager for the Cincinnati Reds, he was also a, a two-year manager with the Carolina Mudcats when I was there. So, And then all the players. You, you get to know them really well, as you know, working in this game, and there are different relationships. I mean, we have our professional relationship, and we have our personal relationship to a degree, and they're just people. They're just guys, just like the Olympians. When you spend a lot of time with them, they really are just regular people with extraordinary talent. And and when you get a chance to spend you know, parts of 16 days with Scott Moyer and uh, Tessa Virtue. Yes, this <laughs> That that was my geek out moment they, with you. When yeah, I was, they're, they're just they they really are just regular people. And I have a great story about Anthony Irvin, who who won the fifty free in Rio as well. But they're just they're just like you and me with incredible ability mm-hmm. and talent. So how can you root against any of these people, even right. if you were a Cubs fan when you were a kid? Or how can you even have a favorite? I suppose. Right, too? right. You want yeah. every one of these people to succeed because whether it's football or basketball or hockey or baseball, the the major sports that get the notoriety, or I have developed such a great appreciation for all of the other athletes in these Olympic sports that I've called. Because when you realize the dedication that swimmers have to their craft every day for 20 years for their life, I did figure skating in Pyeongchang, and I did short track in Pyeongchang, All, all of these sports... They're no less athletes than LeBron James and, right. and Michael Jordan. They just don't get the publicity, the notoriety. There's not the money in it. But the training is the same. The dedication is the same. The ability on their in their sports at that world-class level is absolutely the same. So why would you? And it, you can't root against them. I mean, mm-hmm. th- these are the 
best in the world in their sport, and I'm privileged enough to spend a couple of minutes or a couple of days or a couple of weeks with them, and they respect what I'm doing, and I absolutely respect what they're doing. My gosh, this has been just an incredible life. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. So lucky. If you're just joining us, this is Topics and Takes. <laughs> Got to do it every now and then, you know, if anyone's in a car <laughs> driving around. Uh, I'm Lauren Brownlow, joined by Patrick Keenis, voice of the Durham Bulls, NC State women's basketball, mm. slash plenty of other mm. things that you would have heard Patrick on, including the Olympics. <laughs> I know, it's always hard to just put you in a right. bucket, but a, right. an excellent play-by-play man. Oh, thanks. Um, you did the Winter Olympics mm-hmm. as well after mm-hmm. you told the Rio story, but yeah. then you got to do the Winter Olympics. Um, I don't want to, I mean, you had done swimming before, so mm-hmm. it was, a, I'm sure not, you still had to immerse yourself in it, mm-hmm. but how how much were you aware of figure skating? <laughs> zero? Zero. I'm holding up zero to Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. Because it seems like there's a lot, I mean- we all watch on television, and mm-hmm. we become, of course, you know, de facto skating experts. Mm-hmm. But none of us really know what we're talking about—the scoring system, right. the technical sure. aspects. How did you manage to immerse yourself in that? Yeah. So, th- what I did was I basically followed my same template as pre- prepping for swimming. I knew what I didn't know, and I knew that was vast. <laughs> but I also knew in March of sixteen what an expert. Sound, would sound like in August. So I kind of reverse engineered it and then storyboarded literally what I needed to learn and more importantly, in what order. Because if you learn things out of order, just like with your DNA, everything gets screwed up, right? It needs to be in, in, in the exact order for for my brain anyway and the way that I learn things uh-huh. to be able to piece it all together and the puzzle looks the way that it should. So... Did the same thing for figure skating, although I was starting maybe left of zero for figure skating and starting at zero for swimming. So swimming, I had kind of a cursory knowledge of it. Figure skating, virtu- virtually nothing, almost starting from scratch. So that for the order for you then would be, let me figure out the technical parts before the personalities? Yeah, I would just, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and really, the, and, and calling the play-by-play almost last. Mm-hmm. Right, because I needed I needed to learn so much before that. Otherwise, what am I calling? I couldn't right. tell you what you know the triple axle and double toe loop, what any of these things look like. So I knew that could be tabled months down the road because I knew I had five or six months to, to get ready. So it was it was truly the basics. It was it was watching a lot of tape, watching a lot on YouTube, uh, re- reading the history of the sport. Wow. Talking to as many coaches and as many skaters and as many people associated with the sport who would be able to put up with me. And the beauty of dealing with those kind of sports that maybe don't get the publicity as the majors, they love it when people are interested and really want to learn like the nuance of their sport. Because they, they know with these Olympic sports that Nobody, it's it's off. We're checking in every it's four It's off years. the radar for three and a half or three and three quarters years until you see a a, a picture of Chloe Kim and they're like, oh yeah. And it's probably annoying the way that most people at home watch it and act like we all know something about it. We do that, yeah. I think, with gymnastics as well. Right. I think those are the true, two main true. ones that we watch and go, no, that should be yeah. the score. Like we know what yeah. we're talking so, about. So that that's really what it was. Was <laughs> you just needed to plan out what do I need to learn? Right. How long am I giving myself to learn this? And then what's next? And then what's next? And then what's next? 
And then all the while you're, so you know me with all the post-its and, and cards and, and notes, every every swimmer who could have raced in, in the gold medal races mm-hmm. had uh, a Word document like biographical card that I produced. Oh, wow. Okay. With their flag, with their age, with their name, and a whole a whole gob, the technical term, of of anything that I thought might be compelling and interesting if this person is in a race. And I'm I'm assuming even writing that out would help retain some of it. <laughs> it took months. Jeez. It took months. Because you don't know who's going to be in the final eight, mm-hmm. right? You don't know who's going to be skating for gold, but you don't have time to research that when it's the night before or right. the day of. Now, NBC's research team is incredible. When we were down in Rio and again in Pyeongchang, they basically have an entire, entire like two or three sizes of a, of a ballroom dedicated to research for every sport. Now, they put a manual out in advance of the Olympics, so I would get a copy of the swimming and the figure skating and, and the short track. But if you needed an answer for something that maybe you thought might happen in, in anticipation of something happening or something you needed them to research and you just didn't have time, Westwood is owned by NBC, so we had access to these NBC research agents, which were no, 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 um, they, they were basically college age sure. interns yeah. or, or fresh graduates looking to break into the industry. Mm-hmm. And they would send them down there. And so each sport had two researchers assigned to them. One worked from midnight until noon. The other one came in at noon and worked until midnight. Wow. So you always had somebody manning a station for all these researchers, for all these sports, because you never know who needed you, right? So so it certainly leaned, leaned on that, but I, I needed to produce my own. And again, back to what Westwood One was all about as far as defining the moment. I needed to, at least in my head, have an idea, not just who Lauren Brownlow is in this race, but again, you had to tell Lauren's history and the significance of what just happened mm-hmm. in 15 seconds. And when it's a live race, and I don't know that Lauren's going to win this race, that's a lot. That's a lot to juggle in your head while you're calling the race. You're trying to put it in context as they're hitting the wall and turning back, and then have some type of five or seven second comment, perfectly worded and crafted, that sums it up. On live radio, nationally, it's high pressure. Right. And what what I one of the one of the conversations I had before I went to Rio that kind of put me a bit at ease because this is what I always wanted to do. It was clearly going to be the biggest event broadcast event for my life. Would be also a make or break if I went down there and sucked. That was it. Yeah. If I went down there and did okay. Might be some opportunities if they went down that down there and killed it. Who knows what, what could happen out sure, of that? Sure, sure. But I didn't know anything about where I was going to be set up, what the expectations were, where the monitors were, where the score. Like some just the basics, right? Right, right. Let let alone the actual kind of enormity of the events. So I had talked with Dan Hicks, who did TV for swimming for the Olympics for several Olympic cycles. When he was, I think he was coming back from the British Open, and he had just landed back in the States, and I caught him in his car for about an hour, and I was just peppering him with questions. I'm like, what, what's it like? What's your view like? What, what, tell, just so I can maybe better visualize and calm myself down a bit. 
So I had a nice long conversation with him. He was incredibly uh, gracious with his time. But before I went, Luke Maley, I don't know if you know that name. Luke Maley was a catcher on the Bulls. Okay. And Luke Maley played college ball at Kentucky. He's been a catcher for his, for his entire career, but had never been in the big leagues. He was just called up in early July and then just optioned down back to the Durham Bulls. And about a week before I left, I pulled him aside and I said, tell me what it was like. And for my purposes, when did you feel like it was just another game? Because I'm going to go down there and I'm going to see these huge, huge venues, the best athletes in the world. And I don't know how I'm going to react to all this stuff. I mean, you're going to be certainly in awe and overwhelmed, but you can't you can't be awed and overwhelmed long. Right. So he said, just kind of a concise comment was, you just need to realize that you've been you've been training for this your whole life, just like I've been training to be a big league catcher my whole life. And he said, the first day, yeah, there's a third deck on the stadium, the lights are brighter, you walk into a big league clubhouse for the first time, you're a big league player. But by the second day, the game had slowed down, and I had a job to do. Mm-hmm. And I had been taking lessons and training and working to this for this moment my whole life. You should treat it the same way. Yeah. And that was great advice from from Luke, and it really helped to settle me before I went. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, one last time. This is Topics and Takes yes, with Lauren Brunlow. See? You're even, <laughs> you're even better at that than I am. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, and that's Patrick Keenis. Um play-by-play man yeah. for the Bulls, NC State women's basketball. He's called all kinds of mm. college football and basketball games for Westwood One, NBC, Olympic coverage as well. Um, I have to ask, because I yeah. just realized I didn't when you told the story initially. Because um, I've been talking far too long. No, this has all been really, really great, so don't even, yeah. But when you said you got your second chance to do the Phelps call when he mm-hmm. was able to win, mm-hmm. do you remember what that was? I remember part of it, okay, because in my head, I remember. So this this would be a, a funny story as well. So I mentioned the building blocks, and I mentioned that I did not really practice play by play of swimming mm-hmm. in that Olympic period until very late before I went to Rio. So I was working on the strokes, I was working on the histories, working on the the athletes' bios. I didn't start practicing like some dry calls in my house until the middle of July. It was the all-star break for the Bulls. So, and I'm leaving on the July 31st. So now I finally feel like I am up to speed and ready to go. And now let's just spend the next two weeks refining some calls. Mm-hmm. So how do you do it? Pull up your laptop. Pull up a race from London. You mute it because it doesn't matter. Right. You don't care who is in the lanes because that doesn't matter either. So I'm calling them all Smiths, right? Because it doesn't matter if it's, you know, if it's Michael Phelps or Ledecky. It doesn't. Uh-huh. I'm I'm just getting in the mindset of what am I seeing? How am I calling? Okay. So psych myself up, got it, you know, pause on my screen and ready to go. This is gonna be this is gonna be great. We're gonna move on. All right, let's do it. Unpause it. I, you know, identify there, Smith in lane one, Smith, you know, on the second block, blah, blah, blah. Into the water they go. And it was tragically awful. <laughs> I couldn't even get these swimmers 25 meters in that first lap before I stopped. Uh-huh. Literally smacked myself because it was terrible and had to regroup. Oh, wow. I'm like, all right, I'm going to rewind it. That was, okay, well, just chalk it up to the first. Just a, It's just a bad pitch. Let's try again. And so went back to the exact same spot, unpaused it, got them on the blocks, in the water. 
maybe 30, 35 meters, and I stopped again. And I shut my computer down. I immediately went to the shower and basically stood there for about 30 minutes going and talking to myself, this is going to be an absolute disaster. It's going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. I didn't know my analyst, Dara Torres, who wanted being fantastic, but she had very little experience. They didn't know who I was. I just tried to practice, and it was awful. But there was no, there was no getting away from this job. No, I, no, I no. couldn't call them and say I can't do it. Not two weeks before the Olympics. Their their expectations are: I'm there, and I'm going to do well. Right. I better. <laughs> but it was terrible. And frankly, I, I only practiced maybe a couple of couple of more races, and boarded the plane going to Rio and was walking down the, the right side of the plane. It was a three by five by three going from, I guess, think Miami to Rio. And a bunch of Olympic athletes were on there wearing their, their warm-up suits. And I'm carrying all my bags and I have all my notes. And I'm thinking, these people are going to realize in about five days that, that this is going to be a fraudulent call by this guy walking down the aisle going to Rio. I mean, I had virtually no confidence at all. I knew I knew the information, but I was not confident I was going to be able to deliver the races. So you had yet to have a dry run where you felt good about yeah. so, it. Yeah. Oh, wow. So day one of the Olympics, <laughs> this is the day after the opening ceremony, right. there are four gold medal races that night on day one. So Mike sent Dara and me over to the aquatic stadium to, again, just develop a little bit of chemistry and, and camaraderie mm-hmm. on the air, like no, nothing different than what you and I did last year at the sure. ACCs up in Brooklyn, and basically said, I don't, I, don't, I don't care how you call it, but we just want to get you comfortable. Sure. So we were calling some of the prelims and the women's 50 or 100, whatever it was. Didn't matter about the athletes. He just wanted to get us some reps. Yeah. Now, again, I had a conversation with Dara during the Republican National Convention. I was at a hotel in Lehigh Valley. We chatted, and I said, how much have you been following swimming since you retired? And she's a legend. She yeah. said, well, I know a couple, a couple of these guys are teammates of mine, or Anthony Irwin sure. and um, Phelps and others, but really, really not not much. I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, God. This is going to be even worse. <laughs> so during that, f- I know we got to go here, during that first test for us that afternoon of day one, I got the swimmers on the blocks, mm-hmm. got them in the pool, and in my head at the 25-meter mark after I finish identifying who's where and who's off to good starts, yeah. I'm laying out, and I'm saying to myself, if Dara doesn't jump in here with what I need her to jump in with, right. this is really going to be an awful next eight days. Yeah. Got him halfway through. I laid out. Dara jumps right in. Gets him oh. in the wall. I flip him back. So, so that helps. Yeah. So we did that about... Three or four or five races that afternoon, and then Mike said, what do you think? You guys good? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm ready to go. But again, you were you were trained for that moment in your life, and it was just kind of psyching yourself out. Yeah. But you know you just kind of fall back on your instincts and your training, and you think about all the people who had the belief and faith in you, as we talked about earlier, about why you're there. Yes. And then you just do your job on a global scale. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the play-by-play that we do together I in, am too. in My Charlotte. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. 
You've been listening to the Topics and Takes podcast with Lauren Brownlow. You can download this weekly podcast at WRALsportsfan.com and the WRAL Sports Fan app or subscribe on iTunes and Google Play stores.